In talking to Pastor Tracy last night about this sermon I would be preaching today, he mentioned how nice it would be starting out our first service in 2022 talking about the Holy Spirit. So if you remember a year ago, we were studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We heard how we have a new identity in Christ. And in the first three chapters, Paul reminds and assures the Ephesians of their new identity in Christ. But as Paul moves into his thoughts in the middle of chapter four, we see a shift in Paul's letter. Paul begins to challenge the Ephesians and us on how they, they, we are supposed to live out this identity. He continues this theme as we see in chapter five, charging us on how, how not to live in this new identity we have in Christ. And it culminates in verse 18 with what I think is a very important exhortation, actually a command, be filled with the Spirit. Today we will look at what being filled with the Spirit means, as well as touching on Paul's cautions to us and exploring what Paul intends regarding all this singing. I came across an outline for these verses, 15 through 21, which I thought was very helpful. The three B's, be wise, be filled, be genuine. When Paul begins to shift his letter, challenge the Ephesians as to how they should live in this new identity in Christ, we see him using the word therefore. Therefore assists Paul in juxtaposing the old life with the new life of our identity in Christ. For example, paraphrasing in chapter four, verse 25, therefore speak the truth with your neighbor. Chapter five, verse one, therefore imitate Christ and walk in love. Verse seven, therefore do not associate with deceivers and sexually immoral people. And as we read today in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But before we get to this, we see Paul's directive in verse 15. He makes it clear that we need to pause and reflect as he introduces our first B, be wise. Paul uses the Greek word belepite, which means consider carefully. Our ESV translation reads, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Paul wants us to take heed. He wants us to stop and consider how you're going to live out this Christian identity. When I think of looking carefully, I think of crossing the street. When we were all growing up, we constantly heard our mom and dad say, look carefully before you cross the street. And even now I look carefully before I cross the street. I remember the first time I drove in Princeton uh, after coming down from New York and I wasn't used to those crosswalks where somebody just walks out in front of the, the cars on the street. And this person did not look carefully. And as I slammed on the brakes, uh, he gave a very startled look. Hopefully it wasn't somebody in our congregation. But again, it's a reminder, we need to look carefully. A wise person will look carefully even in these crosswalks before crossing the street. So we too need to stop and look carefully as to how we are to live. Paul's reference to the wise as opposed to the unwise refers to a divine wisdom, a wisdom that is divine in nature. That's our identity in Jesus Christ. How do we do this? How do we be wise? 
As Paul points out, one way is by making the best use of our time. One Christian mentor once said to me, do you want to see how well you are living your Christian identity? Look at your bank and credit card statements. Look at your calendars and look at all the things you think about most intently. Look at what pictures you have up on the walls of your home, what you watch on TV. This will reveal your priorities. This will reveal where we use our time. Wise men seek God first. Are you being wise? Are you seeking God first? Is this where you are spending your time? Making use of your time in an unwise way is listening to the flesh. That's going back to the Ephesians 2 man that we talked about, the one who is dead in their sins and transgressions. That person is being rash and giving in to their passions. The flesh will tell us if we see something we want, take it no matter what the cost or who gets hurt. The flesh tells us this world is all about us. The flesh tells us you'd better not fail this test as it will affect your grades, your GPA, and maybe what college or job you get, so it's okay to cheat. The flesh tells us if when we lust, it's okay to go outside the marriage bounds. When someone gets angry at us, get nasty back. I need to share a story I'm not very proud of. I was driving on a Saturday morning with my daughter uh, to get gas. It was very early in the morning. There weren't many people on the road. I stopped at a red light at a, an intersection at a major road, and I may have been there just only three or five seconds, and the guy behind me honks his horn. It absolutely startled me, ruined my peace, and I said, I'm gonna show him what this feels like. So at the next traffic light, I pulled up right behind him, and as soon as the light turned green, I didn't lay on the horn, but I did honk. It wasn't until he put his car in park and sat there until the light turned yellow, and then he put the car in drive and went through the light that my daughter commented on the immaturity of certain male drivers. And I thought, what am I doing? I was thinking in the flesh. I certainly was not loving my neighbor. I certainly was not making the best use of my time as my identity as a Christian. So how do the wise make the best use of their time? They are patient, looking carefully how they walk. Paul moves on to a warning in verse 16. The days are evil. The world, darkness, the flesh, and sin are all around us. Everything is pushing away from God. The wise prepare for this and train for this by scripture reading regularly, praying often, being in fellowship with other believers, and by being obedient to God. I've noticed a very strong correlation between my prayer and scripture reading to my obedience in God. Have you experienced this? When I do this, when I read scripture and pray regularly, I'm governed less by the flesh. I'm less brash in my decisions. I honk less. Particularly when we are in prayer about some of the foolish or unwise moves or decisions, those which lead us away from God, praying in repentance and for sanctification, that is when we are really being equipped to better follow the wise course. There are the ways, these are the ways we understand the will of the Lord. One commentator sums this up very well. Understanding the Lord's will 
helps us to live wisely and to make the most of the time. We make the most of the time and live wisely by understanding the Lord's will. A congregant shared this story with me and he gave me the okay to share it with you. This congregant was driving with his wife to help his sister who was going through a difficult time. This included trying to help through interacting with governing authorities. He and his wife prayed and they felt led to Romans 13, 1-7. It struck him how Paul wrote about governing authorities, that they are ministers and servants of God. They are appointed by God. He says, even though I had read about that before, it went deeper this time. I started to pray differently, and when visiting a courthouse, I entered with an awareness of coming to a place where people were working that were servants of God, appointed by him, whether they knew it or not. This led to two things. He prayed more for them, and his respect for them and their positions increased. He goes on to say, as we talked to a judge, I had already prayed that the Lord would guide the conversation and work through his servant. I felt privileged that I myself, a servant of God, through my faith and in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, could talk to another servant of God, one who functioned in a different role and had been given a sphere of authority that I respected. The conversation was interesting. It started out very formally until at one point I was able to present the need of my sister and the judge's whole demeanor changed to one of compassion and care rather than just formal observance. I rejoice to see this change as coming through the work of the Lord. This leads us to our second point, be filled. In verse 18, Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. As I began to look over this reading, I was drawn to the phrase, be filled with the spirit. And I thought right here, this is a key verse. Be filled with the Spirit. Well-known pastor and author Chuck Swindoll actually agreed with me, and he made this statement. I don't know of a more important verse in the New Testament for the Christian than Ephesians 5.18. Honest, no exaggeration. I've got a long quote from Chuck Swindoll because I think he summarizes this section very well, so uh, bear with me and Chuck as I read. Chuck Swindoll goes on to say, the verse tells the believer how to live an authentic, empowered life. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, debauchery, which means excess, existing hopelessly out of control. But be filled with the Spirit. Chuck Swindoll continues, It begins with a negative command. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. When you're drunk with alcohol, you lose control. You also lose self-respect and the respect of others. Don't get drunk. A positive command follows, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a command, not a suggestion. It's an urgent imperative, not a casual option. Be filled is a command which means I play a part in it. Chuck continues, I cannot be filled with the Spirit while I have unconfessed sin with, within me. I cannot be filled with the Spirit while at the same time conducting my life in the energy of the flesh. I cannot be filled with his spirit while I am resisting God's will, while I'm resisting God's will and relying only on myself. I need to be sure that I have taken care of the sins that have emerged in my life, that I have not ignored the wrong that I have done before God and to others, 
I need to walk in conscious dependence on the Lord on a daily basis. Chuck Swindoll then shares this prayer that he uses in the morning when he gets out of bed. This is your day, Lord. I want to be at your disposal. I have no idea what these next 24 hours will contain, but before I sip my first cup of coffee, and even before I get dressed, I want you to know that from this moment on throughout the day, I'm yours, Lord. Help me to lean on you, to draw strength from you, and to have you fill my mind and my thoughts. Take control of my senses so that I am literally filled with your presence and empowered with your energy. I want to be your tool, your vessel today. I can't make it happen. And so I'm saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. What a great prayer to start out the day. How do you begin your day? Do you begin praying for the Holy Spirit to fill your minds and your thoughts? Unfortunately, more often than not, my day begins with thinking about the things I need to do that day, going over my list. So instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit and God's direction, I'm filled with my agenda. Scottish theologian A.C. Welch, writing on this passage, said, You have to fill a man with something. What are these things that fill you? What are the things that fill your heart and your mind and thoughts? Is it the spirit or is it to your to-do list? Is it the spirit or some unpure thoughts thinking from the flesh? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not simply an emotional experience. It is a commit command applied to every believer. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as our counselor and guide. Jesus tells the disciple just before his death in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This works hand in hand with being wise and walking in the right way. Being filled with the Holy Spirit allows us to use the scriptures accordingly and appropriately. The Holy Spirit brings out Christ's presence in our lives. Commentator Hudson Taylor notes, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we have more of the Spirit, but the Spirit has more of us, more of my heart, more of my will surrendered to his will. It doesn't happen all at once any more than we get drunk all at once. Being filled with the Spirit happens as we continually choose to live under his holy influence. We do this in prayer, like the prayer of Chuck Swindoll. We do this by regularly reading and meditating on scripture. We do this by fasting. We do this by listening to God's spirit. I can't tell you how often I felt like I needed to do something, make a phone call to someone, to say something in certain situations, or stop what I was doing to help someone. These were times I sensed it was the right thing to do, the Christ-like thing to do, the urging of the Holy Spirit. In my youth, I didn't listen as my mind knew better. I don't have time. I didn't want to get involved. But I slowly began to listen and act, understanding that this may be coming from the Holy Spirit. So many of the phone calls ended with my thinking, oh, I'm so glad I talked to so-and-so. That was a God thing. That was so timely. 
They needed that call. I remember driving up to Bun Drive one time on my way to church. It was very cold and icy. There was a fellow with a lot of packages walking up the hill. He was struggling and I felt that need to call to help. I felt the Holy Spirit urging me to stop and do something. I needed to get to church though, but again, I just felt that this was something I needed to do. The Holy Spirit was saying, you need to stop. This is the Christ-like thing to do. So I stopped and asked him if he wanted to lift. I was going up the road to Stonehill anyway, so he got in. As he was loading stuff in the car, a car behind me laid on the horn and zoomed past me. I don't know, I do get honked at a lot. <laughs> Turns out this guy that I'd picked up was a new Christian and I invited him to church. Coincidence? No, I believe it was the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not an endorsement to pick up strangers. This is an endorsement to listen to the Holy Spirit, to set aside what we want to be filled with and to be filled with instead the Holy Spirit. Same thing with a situation like a confrontation. Do we fill ourselves with what we want, what we think is right, or do we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit and address this confrontation in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, and self-control. And so we move to the third B, be genuine. Paul seems to move to a new idea in verse 19. He commands us to be filled with the Spirit, and then he writes, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I considered singing this sermon, but I figured I would spare you. However, the singing this sermon may be biblically correct. We read in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, they prayed and sang hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. In Genesis 4, we read a short genealogy of Cain, and we hear of Jubal, a descendant of Cain. Jubal was the father of all those who play the harp and the lyre. Moses and the Israelites sang to God after their deliverance from the Egyptians of the Red Sea. In Judges, Barak and Deborah sang a song after defeating the Canaanites, Judges 5. And we have the book of Psalms, a whole book of poems and songs written by musicians, priests, and leaders like Moses, King Solomon, and King David. Biblical scholars do not agree on what the differences between a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song are, but I don't think that really affects what Paul was trying to get across. Psalms are songs or poems of worship. They were an expression of deep emotion, typically revolving around stories of deliverance or commemoration of God's mercy, praising God and pointing to his greatness. Hymns may refer to songs of praise, songs in honor of God, or songs with a lot of religious content. Although hymns like the hymn Jesus and his disciples sang at the Last Supper before going out to the Mount of Olives were almost certainly not like the hymns we would sing today, their purpose may have been very similar. Singing is a simple and effective way of preserving emotions and worship of God to memory. 
Hearing a particular song may invoke a particular memory. Most of us learned our ABCs through song, and many of us probably learned the books of Bible by song. I certainly wouldn't classify these as great hymns, but song, the combination of melody and lyrics, seems to work on us in a way that which, more so than just words, they become etched in our hearts and our minds. And so Paul tells us to address each other in psalms and hymns. In essence, I think he is telling us to further the teachings and memories of what God has done for us. Not only are these ways to remember, but they are ways to witness. The great hymns, our favorite hymns, and even vacation Bible school songs become etched in our minds and we remember some theological point as well as a means of praise to our awesome God. Holy, 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 great is thy faithfulness, Crown him with many crowns. Christ the Lord is risen today. Spiritual songs. The Greek word for this is translated belonging to the spirit, divine spirit. These may refer to natural outburst of excitement or joy or praise. And although I'm not a great singer, I understand the emotion of song. There are often times I will sing along with a song that stirs an emotion in me. Songs can incite deep passion. Songs like Christmas carols arouse great joy. And as I already touched upon, songs can rouse up strong memories. There are certain hymns that remind me of going to church with my parents. Other hymns which remind me of the church in New York where my wife and I first lived and in unity of the body as we sang those hymns. Classic hymns like Standing on the Promises, In the Garden, A Mighty Fortress. As we have seen, singing in the Bible was a way of expressing deep emotion, praise to God for a great victory, a miracle, or simply an expression of the great and awesome God we have. I think Paul is telling the Ephesians and us to be genuine in their worship, to be genuine in our worship. They are to let their emotions come through in worship. They are to allow this worship to be genuine in their lives so that they are making a melody to the Lord with their heart. Verse 19. Paul moves very naturally in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. To verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could probably have a whole sermon just on this one verse, but I'd want to just hit one point that connects us to living this new identity in Christ. Jesus instructed his disciples, everyone who acknowledges me before men I also will acknowledge before the Father who is in heaven, Matthew 19, 33. Are we just to acknowledge Jesus in word if someone asks us? Or are we supposed to acknowledge Christ with our words and deeds with the way we live? I had a friend in college, Andrew, who when I gave him praise and thanked him for something he did, he would respond, no, don't thank me. We need to thank God. It wasn't a flippant phrase, but he was honestly trying to follow Ephesians 5.20, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he was in fact saying, the honor and credit needs to be given to God because it is by the grace of God we were able to do such and such. Each time he said this to me, it reminded me to reorder my perspective. My tendency is always one of, how do I accomplish this? What do I need to do? So naturally, I would pat myself on the back. I did this. I accomplished this. But Andrew's phrase, give thanks to God, was a good reminder that it, what we do, how we live, needs to be about God. God who gives us our gifts. God's plan. Paul closes our reading for today, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The next several verses, 522 through 69, talk about submitting in different relationships. But if we think about it, if we are to be genuine in our worship as life and acknowledge and live our Christian identity as Jesus calls us, Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ should probably naturally follow. In closing, I challenge us to consider our Christian identity, being imitators of Christ and walking in love. This is not easy to do, but Paul gives us some tips which we have called the three B's. Be wise, be filled, be genuine. Be wise in how you live this Christian life, making the best use of time and understanding the will of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit as opposed to being guided by the flesh. And be genuine, letting true worship of our Lord Jesus Christ and our acknowledgement of him direct our lives. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you promised not to leave us alone. You came to us on Christmas Day, taught us, loved us enough to die for us, taking on all our sins. But still, you promised not to leave us alone. And so your spirit is with us. Fill us with the spirit so we may be guided in a life that is honoring and glorifying to you. Amen.